Welcome to the Decide Your Legacy podcast, helping individuals and businesses unleash their potential. Join us every episode as host Adam Gregg discusses what is holding us back and how to find hope for moving forward. Along the way, we discuss developing healthy relationships and navigating life transitions while overcoming fear, stress, and anxiety. Live the life you want, the legacy you decide. Welcome to the Decide Your Legacy podcast. I am so glad you've tuned in and are joining me today. So if you have not already done so, and you like this podcast, please, please subscribe and give me a five-star rating if you love it, and also give it a review on Apple and Spotify. That helps it grow, that helps it reach more people, that helps me and you help more people with the content. If you find this content valuable as well, please tell your friends. I'd love to spread the word. The podcast is growing and I need your help. We have a great topic today. This one is on three practices to overcome anxiety. Three practices to overcome anxiety. I know I've talked about anxiety in other podcast episodes and you can check those out. Even the very first podcast episode I ever did, podcast number one is on anxiety. But I'm gonna express and share some things that I haven't shared with you before. They're tools and tips that you can apply today to actually overcome the anxiety in your life. And as I have in every episode, I'm gonna share, well, not every, but every recent episode, I'm gonna share a couple risks that I've taken recently and how those turned out. So on Saturday, this last Saturday, I surprised my dad by taking him skydiving. I actually, well, here's what happened is, is we, uh, he didn't know we were going and I asked him to get ready and get some shoes on and dressed up for something. I pick him up at nine. I drove on out to the Cook airfield and the air capital drop zone. And these guys have each of, each of them have over 6,000 skydives and uh, we pulled up and then he saw the sign and he's like, I'm not doing this. He's like, there's no way I'm going up in a plane. And uh, then we watched the videos and the training and we met with the guys and we ended up actually not going skydiving. It was a risk, but he, through that process, thinks he's going to want to do it in August. So hopefully I'll get him out there and uh, get him out there to do it. I was disappointed, but I didn't approach it the right way. And that's what happens when you take risks. Sometimes you do things the right way, the wrong way, You just, but you did it. And so I started and it started a conversation with my dad and it opened up some things that were very helpful. And so some other risks I've taken is I was leaving the Cook Airfield and I actually ended up leaving my backpack, which had my MacBook Pro, had like a $2,500 computer in it at the place. And I left my water bottle and we were about halfway home when I, when I realized that I had left everything. And so I said, I'm going to turn around. And my dad said uh, to me, take me home. And I said to my dad, which is not something I normally would do. I was assertive with him. I said, I said, dad, it's, we're only, you know, why would I take you home? Let's just go back. And then he was adamant, just take me home. And I said, dad, you know what? That makes me feel not very valuable to you because all it is is turning back and you're getting more time with me. I'm your son, you know, and he didn't comment to that, <laughs> comment about that, but he listened and me being assertive with him in that situation was a risk, but it ended up actually opening up some conversations about his dad and it provided more time for us to be together. And it ended up very positive because you have to go through conflict to build intimacy. 
to build connections. And so still planning that trip to Europe, been working on that. Everything there is going well. Um, that's another risk. It is going well. So if you don't know, I'm Adam Gregg. I'm your host of the Decide Your Legacy podcast. I'm a mental health professional and life coach. I've been in, I've been a therapist for over 22 years. And my life purpose is helping other people find transformational clarity so they can overcome their biggest fears and live the legacy that they desire. Live the legacy that they desire. Living without regrets. How do you want to be remembered 10 years after you're gone? Living that life now. I talk about stuff in such a way, at least I try to, that you could explain the concepts to your six-year-old and they can understand. So basic information, basic concepts. And I also discuss things that I struggle with myself. I'm a fellow traveler. I struggle with anxiety. I at times have struggled with clinical level anxiety in my life. And some of that anxiety is because of trauma that I have experienced in my life. And that's oftentimes why we have these triggers and these fears and this anxiety. I like to think of a f anxiety is different than fear. Fear is based on legitimate danger. But I do like the acronym, false evidence appearing real for fear. Um, and then anxiety is based on non-factual information. It's not based on reality. It's based on things we perceive could actually happen. And so I remember a couple situations that have kind of led to me having a lot of, having some anxiety and they're very basic things. But one time I walked into a, 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 a convenience store, Quick Trip is what it's called. And, and I love Quick Trip, great store, great place. But I walked in and I was paying for something. I don't remember what I was buying. And the lady at the cashier said, put that back what you put in your pocket. Said, said you're, you, 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 you know, you, and it was like a energy shot or something like that. So she was accusing me of stealing. And so I emptied my pockets. I showed her that I had nothing. You know, she didn't apologize. She was just really defensive, took my money. I bought the item and I left. And, but it was like being accused of stealing was a big deal to me. Cause I like, I'm an honest person and you know, I've, I've, I, I don't steal. And so of course I, I, I went by the corporate office locally and they apologized and gave me a gift card and all this, but those things can happen and they can trigger us in little ways. It's not that I'm afraid to go into Quick Trip. I still go into Quick Trip. I still love Quick Trip, Quick Trip, but things in our lives can trigger us responding in certain ways. You know, now I have one daughter, she's 15 and had some fertility struggles in order to have her with my wife and those things, you know, things like not going well that you think would be easy, that can trigger us. And what, ha and what happens, cause you think, you know, having a kid would be easy. So we were married and then started trying and, and, you know, we, we couldn't get pregnant for, and it was four years later after that, that she was born. And that was discouraging. It was, it was a difficult time watching everyone else have kids in our age bracket and everything. So something I have never mentioned before is what happens when we go through something traumatic some life transition, some situation, and we don't learn to take it from our subconscious to our conscious, become aware of it, is it activates our parasympathetic nervous system. Now, our par we have two parts of our, ner our central nervous system, our autonomic nervous system. One is the sympathetic and one is the parasympathetic. And this is these are really important concepts for you to understand. The sympathetic nervous system think fight or flight. You know, when we're in that kind of state, blood shifts from our internal organs to our muscles because we think we're in danger. It shifts away from our prefrontal cortex, which is the last part of the human brain to develop and the rational problem-solving part of our brain. And it centers in the act brain activity is in our amygdala. Our breathing gets shallow. Our 
blood oxygenation level increases, we our heart rate increases, we're in a state that is not really comfortable because we think something dangerous, dangerous is going to happen. And we don't want to be in that state for a very long period of time. We want to get out of that state as quickly as we can, but we're in it for a short period of time. Now, when we have these traumatic situations, we can get stuck or we can frequently enter the, par- the sympathetic state. And sympathy is not a positive word, but we can frequently enter that state and and sympathetic means basically we're very hyper aware of our surroundings. We're in this we're in this anxious state and we can do things that are either productive or unproductive to actually go to parasympathetic. Now, parasympathetic, you think of rest and digest. In sympathetic state, you're not going to digest food very well. In fact, people can lose a lot of weight when they learn to decrease stress just naturally eating the same diet because they are going from sympathetic to parasympathetic and they're just dropping off the weight. We don't digest. A lot of people get, you know, diarrhea, constipation, and sympathetic state, stomach problems, different things that can really make your life miserable because you're always stuck in that sympathetic state and your cortisol level increases, which is really hard on your body. It wears you out. It makes you tired. You know, it's not a good place to be. So parasympathetic rest and digest for relaxing, we're able to breathe deeply. Our breathing becomes more, you know, longer breaths. We take six to 10 breaths per minute versus 18 to 20 in sympathetic state. Our heart rate decreases. Brain activity starts to center and go into the prefrontal cortex and other parts of your brain so you can rationally process situations like a fear occurs and you can say, oh, you know, that really isn't something, that anxiety really isn't something I should worry about. It's not probably not going to happen. Very unlikely. So we want to shift in positive ways from sympathetic to parasympathetic. One of the, some of the negative ways people do that is through alcohol, through addiction, you know, through being consumed with Netflix or pornography, sex addiction, things, um, drugs, most drugs take us from sympathetic to parasympathetic. They relax us. We can just avoid and isolate and sleep. That can take us from sympathetic to parasympathetic because we're not in those situations that activate the sympathetic nervous system. Because in some situations, everything kind of activates our sympathetic nervous system because we've gone through trauma. Again, just in kind of review, favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes, it's not the years of your life that count. It's the life in your years. I want you to be living life to its fullest. That's a quote from Abraham Lincoln. Living each day. And that takes doing some things to get out of anxiety. Think of anxiety as a protective force field. It keeps you from what you perceive will get you hurt and it protects you and it actually keeps you from relating to other people, making connections. It's this thing this that you want to let go of and find practices to let go of. Now, I'm going to talk to you about how to let go of that anxiety and work through it today, right now. And the first thing you want to do, if you probably haven't heard of this before, so number one is for any of those negative core beliefs that you have and those triggers, if you can identify them, and three very common ones are I'm unlovable, I'm unworthy, and I am helpless. And then variants of all of those. And you can see a link to a in this podcast, the show notes to to how to replace negative core beliefs. And there's a worksheet you can utilize as well. But the first thing, the first action you want to take, these aren't in any order of importance, is what is the payoff and the benefit of me having this perspective, of this unhelpful, unhealthy perspective? We do it because there's a payoff or a benefit to having this. We know it's often destructive and dysfunctional, but we still engage in it. So think about this. I'm unlovable. 
So someone goes through a situation where someone cheats on them and they end up being betrayed and dealing with that betrayal or their father leaves when they're a kid and they don't have a relationship with that father. Their mother leaves when they're a kid or something happens where they believe that they're unlovable and that can come out in all kinds of variations like, you know, I'll never find somebody who will love me. I'll never meet people that are trustworthy. I'm unlovable and they blame themselves. So what's the payoff for someone believing that they're unlovable at a core level? Well, the payoff is generally motivation or protection and sometimes both. So the payoff, if you can identify it and be honest with it, and most of my clients have trouble being honest about what the payoff is for being I am unlovable, is it can protect you. You know, you're not gonna date, you're not gonna go out there, you're not gonna interview for that new job, you're not gonna even look for that new job because you're unlovable. That's the payoff. And identifying that and being honest with yourself can help you change it to something much healthier. Like I am, I am lovable, you know, I am good enough. I'm just the way God wants me to be, that kind of thing. That other one, I'm unworthy, and oftentimes that's like, I'm unworthy of good things. You know, what's the payoff for thinking you're unworthy? Again, it might keep you from safe because you don't go out and do that thing that you would do if you felt worthy and confident in yourself. Like go look for a new job or again, go meet new friends. You're unworthy. Go try a new hobby. Keeps you safe, keeps you away from failing. But that perceived safety really is making your life more dangerous. And it's causing some misery in your life when you don't need to have that. That other one, I'm helpless. So people that believe I'm helpless, well, it motivates you because you know if you believe you're helpless, you, maybe in some situations you may try to become you may try to be not feel helpless, so do things, learn things, grow in certain ways. But usually when people have that core belief, it's like, you know, I'm not gonna try. So it keeps them safe because I'm helpless. I mean, I'm a victim. It's self-pity, you know, keeps them safe. So identifying what the payoff is, what the benefit is, being real honest, journaling about it is crucial because you see it clear on paper, hand pen to paper, I recommend that. Most of my clients, I challenge, I'm almost making this a recommendation to work with me as you journal. And you do that consistently. It's a green journal, favorite color, Go Ducks, University of Oregon. Um, journaling is crucial. And you can actually, if you wanna find out ways as well to change the neural pathways, I mean, just gratitude can show you and it takes you out of that negative state, that sympathetic state to parasympathetic state where you can rationally see what the payoff actually is. Because usually we're just reacting based on these core beliefs and we're not stepping back and saying, hey, what is what is the what is the real benefit for me doing this? Why am I doing this? And honestly answering that question. So you can do that. Second thing that you can engage in that I'd really encourage you to deal with anxiety is humor, laughter, fun, enjoying things. You know, did you know you probably didn't know this, but the toothbrush was actually invented in Arkansas. And and I wouldn't have thought that, but my dentist has confirmed it. And, and the reason we know the toothbrush is invented in Arkansas is if, it's, if it was invented in any other state, it would have been initially called a teeth brush. Because that, I mean, it hopefully that makes sense. And obviously that was a joke, I'm just kidding, but how often are you laughing? You know, when was the last time you laughed until you cried? When was the last time you laughed until you cried? You know you lose control of some bodily functions because you relax so much when you laugh? You're in sympathetic state. People cry because they're losing some control of bodily functions. I mean, how many of you out there have laughed until you rolled on the ground? Like you couldn't stand. It was so stinking funny. You had to like get on the ground and ended up rolling on the ground. I mean, that stuff happens. 
with really funny situations. And maybe right now you can think about situations where you did laugh until you cried and you did laugh until you rolled on the ground. So how many of you have laughed until you peed your pants? Yes, that does happen. It really does. And so, and I have seen it, honestly. I've And you can lose control. People will like go to the bathroom in a funny comedy show because they realize they're laughing so hard they peed their pants. I mean, like seriously. Now, I know that kind of sounded, sounded gross, but there's also a link in the show notes to 25 gratitude questions you can download. Um, and some of those can just help you get in a state where you can laugh. I give this bookmark away to clients. It's my 10 favorite gratitude questions. And so that's something, uh, if you want, you could order some of those from me and give them to your teammates and all that. But I remember a situation too, a uh, funny situation when I was, I was right out of college. I had this finance double major management degree. I wanted to go work at the big company in, in town. So I interviewed there and they invited me back for a full day interview. And uh, it was, I thought it went really well, but on the way out of the interview, the uh, HR person was walking me out and we were talking and I was really thinking, really feeling good about myself and all this. And I had, I said, I got to use the restroom. And, and I went to the restroom, but I realized afterwards I had walked into the woman's restroom, you know, and they were like guarding the door, like, cause it was a big restroom. I, and I used the woman's restroom and I was in such a state, probably just kind of a self-consumed state. And then I came out, you know, they were really gracious with me, didn't even make it an issue. But I look back on that and I think, did I not get that job because I did that? I think I wasn't ready or mature enough to get that job. But honestly, that I look back on that and I think that was stinking funny. And another situation that I really laugh about now was sitting at dinner one night. I had a dart gun and I was probably eight years old. And I had this dart gun at this family dinner. It was like a Easter dinner or Christmas dinner or whatever. And I lifted up the dart gun and it went off and it stuck just square right in my grandma's forehead because it had one of those suction cup things on it. And of course, my dad was pissed and all that. And, you know, I look back on that. I think what I didn't even intend to do that. But what a funny, stinking memory. I mean, she laughed about it, but it stuck like perfectly. You know, you couldn't have like design that better. I mean, come on, this grandma and her name was Zora. She loved her to pieces. But what are you doing to add laughter into your life? You know, what you can do is has watch your favorite funny shows. I mean, I see this. I see people watch The Office over and over again. You know, I love The Office. I love Parks and Rec. There's people out there that love Seinfeld so much, they watch it again and again. And those are quick 20 minute shows, you know, without commercials. That can be just a great pick me up. Do you ever go and see comedians? You know, I saw Jim Gaffigan a couple years ago, just hilarious. I mean, I love watching old Jim Gaffigan videos. One of my favorites is about camping. And do you go to comedy clubs? Like sometimes I go on the first the first Wednesday of every night at our local comedy club called, uh, called um, oh my gosh, I'm forgetting the name. But anyway, they have open mic. And so you can see people do an open mic. And um, that's a lot of fun. So what are you doing to add laughter? In the show notes, I'm going to link to some of my favorite YouTube videos that I watch again and again and again and again and again that make me laugh. They haven't made me pee my pants, but they've made me laugh until I cry. And they've made me laugh until I've wanted to roll on the ground, at least a couple of them at times, you know, and I've shared them and all that. So the third thing that's crucial is practice mindfulness. And so a good definition of mindfulness is the quality of state. This is actually just directly out of the dictionary, the quality and state of being conscious and aware. So I've shared before in other episodes that 95% of most people's most of what most people do, how they think it's subconscious. They've never brought it to their conscious awareness. 
So mindfulness is engaging in practices of becoming aware of all these negative thoughts, becoming aware of insecurities, becoming aware of how you're reacting. It's this awareness state and you have to do practices to become aware. So everything that you mean throughout the day, challenges that you have are great blessings because there are opportunities when your anxiety really kicks in to practice mindfulness, to practice like what is going on here that's causing me? How am I feeling? Why am I feeling this way? What's going on? And it may be a trigger from the past. It may be something specific that's going on right now. But if you can start becoming aware of your emotions and be aware of your thoughts, that's a mindful practice. That's something that you can do intentionally. So some of my favorite mindful practices that I encourage clients and teach clients to engage in, and I've shared this one before, five, four, three, two, one. I didn't come up with this. So anyway, my buddy Keenan, who's a therapist in town, was the first one that shared this with me, um, who owns a practice. And he taught me it and told me about it. But basically you notice five things visually and you just in your mind, you describe that. Four things that you can touch just in your mind, you describe it. You know, this table is hard and visually, you know, it looks like wood. I mean, it's grainy. So three things that you can hear, two things that you can that you can smell and one thing that you can taste. And if you have to smell your clothes, it smells good, it smells clean. My new shirt, I washed it last night. So you got to do that and you can practice that. And it should just take you about three minutes to do it or less. Another mindfulness activity is actually reading. Reading can get you in a state of focus to where things come up to your conscious awareness as you read. It's getting you to focus on something. And so for me, reading short stories when I'm anxious can be really helpful. I mean, I have some favorite short stories. This one, Ernest Hemingway, the essential Ernest Hemingway. He wrote some excellent short stories. I love some short stories from Jack London. You know, To Build a Fire is one of my favorites. I've read it a, a couple times, even when I'm anxious to get me out of that. It's a great story. Read to your kids as well. Some of these short stories can be from Hemingway can be excellent to read to your kids. I mean, age appropriate as well. Um, some are some are dark as well too, but reading something that's going to get you focused and and so just intentionally focusing as well can be a mindfulness activity. Just intentionally focusing on a project and just in turning off your phone, getting everything out of place that can distract you, and saying for twenty five minutes I'm going to work on writing this article, and you're around twenty minutes I'm going to work on this this you know recording this new song and writing this new song, or I'm practicing my guitar or practicing piano for 20 minutes. And those can take you from the subconscious to the conscious. It may not seem like it would do that, but really you're saying, and this is what happens in mindfulness and meditation. You start to see how powerful and negative your mind can be. And so many intrusive thoughts will pop in and you learn to let them go. That's why it's a mindfulness activity to focus on reading because you're learning to say, hey, well, that's not a thought I wanna have right now. I wanna focus on reading. Or sometimes when I'm highly anxious, I'll read through a whole page and realize I didn't retain anything. I don't remember what I actually read. And so I have to go back and read that whole page again. That's that's awareness though, because I'm becoming aware that I'm not being able to pay attention and focus on what I'm actually reading. Walking, just going and being aware of everything around you. The birds, it's a great time, it's spring, a great time of year, you know, the sounds that you hear, different things that you see that you wouldn't normally see, things that are blooming, green grass. You start noticing the clouds. You can do this in the winter, summer, fall, it doesn't matter where you are or just noticing the moon at night or getting involved in astronomy and noticing the stars and nebulas and things there. That's a whole other path you can go down, but it can be excellent. 
you know, I grew up Catholic and, you know, my mom prays the rosary, does the rosary every day while she walks. My buddy does it twice a day while he walks in his backyard. It could be a mindfulness activity because you're ident- it's putting you in a place where you can identify the negativity. I will link to some of my favorite short stories. And so there's really three authors that I love that have short stories. I'll link to that. I mentioned Jack London. I mentioned uh, Ernest Hemingway. But one thing I'm going to do right now, which, you know, I haven't ever really done this before, but I'm going to give you a mindfulness meditation and I'm going to do it actually in this podcast and walk you through it. And it is something that will be listed as a separate podcast and YouTube video on the Decide Your Legacy channel that you can go back to again and again with some really soothing music and use it as a mindfulness meditation on your own. So right now, if you're listening and you want to do this, you can. If you're driving, just listen. Don't actually engage in this activity because it'll require you to shut your eyes. But I'm going to shut my eyes and walk you through. And so wherever you're at, if you want to engage, I just want you to focus on your breathing. And when you focus on your breathing, most likely it's naturally going to slow. You may not notice it at first, but just focus on your breathing in through your mouth, out through your nose if you want. You're congested in through your mouth, out through your mouth. And I want you to focus on one aspect of the movement while you're breathing. Either the rising and falling of your shoulders, the rising and falling of your rib cage, the rising and falling of your belly. In practice, taking deep inhalations that fill your belly up so your belly expands. And as you do that, notice the rising and falling in one of those three areas, your shoulders, your rib cage, or your belly. For many, it's, it's the belly, the filling up and the letting go. And as you focus on your breathing, What will happen is you'll have distracting thoughts and sensations. You'll think about something you have to do later. You'll think this is weird. I don't want to do this. You'll think have sensations of anxiety or fear. And I want you to intentionally identify that sensation or thought and let it go. Let it go like a leaf floating by in a stream while you're fishing that you notice. Oh, there's a leaf. And then you let it go and float on by, and then you cast your line in again. Or a cloud that you notice in the sky, that's a pretty cloud. And then you let it go and you refocus on whatever you're doing. And right now you refocus on your breathing. And people that practice meditation, mindfulness, Zen masters, you know, they they all struggle with distraction. Nobody does it perfectly. It's a practice, that's why it's a practice. So as you focus on your breathing and that movement, again, you're decreasing your stress level, cortisol, the breathing's becoming more deep. Focus on that movement.
again if you get distracted by a thought, by a sensation. Just identify it. Uh, there's a feeling of anger or frustration or annoyance. There's a thought about my parents or my spouse. And then just let it go. Like a tree that you notice on the side of the road while you drive by. And then you refocus on driving or a person you notice walking. Hey, I like their shoes. And then you let it go. And you refocus on your breathing. That in and out, calming breath. For most, just focusing on your breathing for two or three minutes can get people from anxious, sympathetic to parasympathetic. One of the best ways to calm yourself. And now what I want you to do is while you're focusing on your breathing, I want you to intentionally intentionally dream or create a vision for yourself with a confidence level of a nine or a 10. Intentionally see what comes up. Imagine, imagine you had confidence at a nine or a 10, like really super high level of self-confidence, not arrogance, but you just believed in yourself. You believe that whatever challenge was brought your way, you can handle it. You believe that Life is something that you have the ability to cope with. You have self-confidence at a nine or a 10. Just let that sink in. Imagine what that would be like. And imagine how you'd talk to people differently. Imagine how you'd carry yourself differently. Imagine and visualize what you would start doing more of in your life. You know, maybe you would do those things that you've been afraid, anxious about doing. Imagine and picture yourself engaging in those activities with people, with your job, with new projects. Imagine what you would stop doing if your confidence was at a nine or a 10. Would you stop procrastinating? Would you stop eating junk food? Would you stop sleeping in? Would you stop avoiding those difficult situations? And let that sink in. And as you imagine how you would function with confidence on a scale of nine to 10, also think about what kind of risks you might take. What kind of risks you might take with confidence at a nine or a 10 that you're not taking now and let that sink in while you focus on your breathing. And again, if you get distracted, name it, identify it, let it go and refocus on that confident self, that confident person and let whatever comes up, come up. Whatever comes up, come up. It's gonna come from a different place, not your mind. It's gonna come from a different place internally. And let that sink in, let that self-confident self-confident person let that sink in and take that with you as we wrap this up i want you to take a couple more deep breaths letting that confident self-confidence stuff sink in 
couple more deep breaths, focusing on your breathing and that movement. And then when you're ready, bring your attention back into your room by wiggling your fingers and toes. Continuing to breathe deeply. And when you're ready, go ahead and open your eyes. And that's it. That's a mindfulness meditation. A confidence, self-confidence, mindfulness meditation. So I gave you three tools today. Three tools for anxiety, to overcome anxiety. Ones I haven't actually shared before. First one, just kind of to recap, is to what, notice what is the benefit? Why am I thinking this way? What is the benefit? You can also just notice what the cost is too and journal that down too. But what's a healthier perspective? When you notice the benefit and the payoff, it can help you to really identify the, the, the healthier perspective. Humor, laughter, add some that into your life. And then practice mindfulness. And I gave you some tools and tips on mindfulness as well. So if you like me and my style, I would highly encourage you to sign up for the Decide Your Legacy newsletter, e-newsletter. So I send helpful content out usually every other week, every week, every other week. Sign up, decideyourlegacy.com. You don't want to miss that information. And as we close, I want you to focus now on what is one thing from today that you found extremely helpful. What is one thing you found extremely helpful? That I want you to write that down and commit to applying something today. You know, maybe it's just watch something funny. Maybe it's just do a mindfulness meditation. Maybe it's that you're going to watch your favorite TV show. Maybe possibly you're going to ask yourself, what's the payoff of this thinking that I've struggled with for so long? What are you going to take away from today? What are you going to take away from today? And so if you also found this helpful, I will tell you, I have an online coaching course. It's called Tune Up for Life. And in that course, I give you tips and tools and worksheets on healthy thinking skills, identifying what you love and value about yourself, living with life balance, living from your core values and identifying them, identifying a life purpose statement and setting the right goals and creating the right habits. And so anyone listening today, you can purchase that online. There'll be a link as well to that. And you can hire me as a coach. I'm doing something interesting this summer where I'm gonna take a group of people and you'll have to contact me here. I'm gonna take a group of people and it'll be a 10 max, you know, nine plus myself. And I already have five, okay? So there's four more slots. And what we're going to do is meet over Zoom or we're going to meet in person if you're local. And I'm going to take you through the legacy plan process. You're going to create your own legacy plan. So you're going to go through the coaching process in a group and we're going to end with a skydive, with a tandem skydive. So, and I'll have information if you reach out on cost involved. It's, you're not going to want to miss it. You don't have to do the skydive, but we will do that in August. And so we'll start probably the end of May, beginning of June and end in August and we'll meet at least six times before the skydive going over all this information. So you won't want to miss that as well. So thank you for tuning in today. I want to close as I always do. How do you want to be remembered 10 years after you're gone? What do you want people to say at Christmas about you when they talk about your life? You decide your legacy and you can live that out now. No one else gets to decide that for you. You decide your legacy. You decide your future. Thanks for tuning in. I appreciate you, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye. This show is part of the ICT Podcast Network. For more information, visit ictpod.net.